Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics, with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Hey, Mark, nice to be with you on another episode of Informed Dissent. Uh, Mary just uh, popped in here because she's an old friend of Katie's and wanted to, wanted to see her. We've got a special guest today that uh, hopefully will lighten things up and inform you. And that's the one and only Katie Hopkins. If you don't know who she is, you will shortly. She's from the uh, People's Republic of England and uh, comes over to the United States often to support all things patriotic and all things American. So, Katie, welcome. Welcome to Informed Dissent, and thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me on. And I think we should be very clear with your listeners that I'm not here... Uh, of my own volition, it's that I was physically and verbally warned at an event I was recently speaking at that if I didn't come on, you were going to take my lucky rabbit's foot that you gave me as a gift. You were going to come and take it away from me. <laughs> so I just want people to know that's the sort yeah, of guy they're dealing with. Got it. You know, and, and I was thinking about that and I did threaten to take your lucky rabbit's foot away and I was thinking about that. Uh, I'm not sure it was very lucky for the rabbit though, huh? <laughs> Listen, I have it here. Hold on, so that we're just, um, I'll just, I'm just going to zip up this one zip just in case, I don't know, passport falls out. So this is my travel pack that is packed by my door, well, 24-7 every day of the year. And it has everything I need to leave my house forever. And this is my lucky rabbit's foot that you gave me here. Oh, look at that. <laughs> and I use it in an intimidating manner, border force and things. I'm like, I've brought my lucky rabbit's foot, so you need to let me in. So yeah. But you threatened Excellent. to take that away if I didn't get my ass on here. That's right. Well, I love that. And of course, this is audio, not video. But just for our audience, she held up her little backpack travel kit. And she's got a lucky rabbit's foot that I gave her several months back that's attached to her backpack to bring her luck. Hopefully better luck than it brought the rabbit. <laughs> so, Katie, Yeah, there's a little three-legged Katie, rabbit going around. That's right. So, Katie, tell our audience, what brings you recurrently back to the United States? Yeah, I, it's, it's relentless for me. I, I leave the states and I'm already planning my return um, and it's really just I push myself out way out uh, I get on Amtrak I get on Greyhound I get on Flexbus I get anything that I can to get way out into the deeper parts of America so here in California I'm now in somewhere called Fairfield I don't really know where I am and I go from place to place like some wandering Tom Hanks in News of the World, um, telling stories, sharing news, but most importantly, lifting up our side. I think we all have a role to play in this fight. Uh, I started off way back well in the, in the military, and now I do stand-up and I do speeches in, in local pubs, local bars, local restaurants. Last night I was in a place called Oliver's in Lincoln in California, and people always say, well, what are you doing in our little town? And I think that's my job. My job is to be in the places other people aren't to help energize our side at a time when they are feeling more beaten down than, than I've ever seen them before. So I met you first a couple of years back. It was in 2020, about midway through the election cycle, and you came out to support an organization. And I remember you telling us that uh, you were here fighting on behalf of America and specifically uh, helping and traveling around with uh, President Trump at the time. Uh, because as goes America, so goes the rest of the world. And, you know, of course, Ronald Reagan's famous 
line about um, we have no place to run. This is the last hope for freedom on earth or some something of that sort. I'm paraphrasing. And you really believe that, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, in my country, uh, we're already gone. So demographically speaking alone, without any other looking at any other kind of evidence points, demographically, we're outnumbered by 2030. Muslim births outnumber births to all and any other religion. The number one name in my country is Mohammed. The number two name in my country is Muhammad. And you may say, well, why is that problematic? Well, it's problematic because we were a Christian country and we are no more. And that's true for France. That is true for Germany. Uh, those countries will fall to Islam. And we will have to retreat at some point, my children's children, whatever, to Eastern Europe. Uh, and it will be America uh, that is the last hope. I mean, you are our last hope as well. Uh, but it's, it's, not a, it's not a pessimistic thing. Uh, I am wildly optimistic about America. Uh, and I'm wildly optimistic about our side winning because America is unlike any other country on the face of this planet. And, and that's part of my message, really, is to remind Americans that you are great, even though you feel worn down. And when you say our side winning, what do you mean by that? So our side winning is, is for our side to prevail, is for the sense of the what is America, for that to prevail, for people to still live free, one nation, under God, for people to continue to have their Second Amendment rights and because of that their first, and for people to be able to have the right to enjoyment in their lives, pursuit of happiness. And it's probably the element that I hear people not really talk of much. We don't regard it much because it sounds nice to have, pursuit of happiness. But if we talked about it openly or more often we'd recognize that in the last two slash three years, one of the things that was taken from everybody was the right to pursue happiness. And that's really what do you want as a mother or a father or what do you want for your children? Ultimately, you want them just to be happy. Uh, and that's what this fight to me is all about, which is why actually, you know, I always say everybody's welcome. Like, it doesn't matter about your politics before. It doesn't matter what you thought before. It doesn't matter if you loved wearing a mask. It doesn't matter if you have your vaccine. It, I don't believe we should be kind of trying to segregate on the basis of your, like, entry requirements. This is just the side that wants everyone to be all right. Uh, and that's a really powerful thing. And that's what I find on the road, and especially using comedy, is that we can bring people who might otherwise not realize that we're all on the same side. We might have just had different labels in the past. Yeah, no question about it. And our audience doesn't know this, but as a result of you speaking out, uh, you've gotten into somewhat trouble and you've actually been banned and thrown out of countries. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I'm now um, the most banned woman uh, on the planet. I'm the most banned woman on the face of uh, planet Earth, I think. I'm banned from South Africa um, and Impresi. I was banned because I spent three months there living on the farms of white farmers who are being systematically hunted from their land. They're down to 3% there. And I was banned from that country by the ANC. They were trying to block me arriving, but actually I was already in. Uh, I'm now banned from Australia. I've just been deported in the last, I think, is it four months or so uh, from Australia for speaking out. I was brought into the country for media 
I spoke out against the tyranny of lockdowns and I was deported from that country within 48 hours and banned from going back. Um, and then I'm banned from other obvious things like British TV, American TV and media, Twitter, obviously, and other platforms. I'm also banned from a small part of Britain uh, that's called Wales. But I, I, in truth, I'm not, I'm not so bothered about that because uh, Wales is a bit rubbish and is full of quite short people. So um, I'm not so worried about Wales. So Australia used to be a uh, UK penal colony. It would seem to be a perfect place for you to go. Uh, why did they kick you out there? And tell us a little bit about that story. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, it, it is like it became a penal colony again, right? Except this time, the people who were put in prison were the Australians themselves. And your listeners may be aware that Australia has only just literally in the last week, only just started allowing people to fly again. And that feels very temporary as well. I mean, we all sense that. We all sense this sort of temporary easing. But I went over there to do um, a TV show, a terrible TV show, I will add, called Celebrity Big Brother, where they bring people over who think they're famous, who, who typically aren't. They're just nonsense individuals, myself, um, the gubernatorial candidate, <laughs> Uh, Caitlyn Jenner, uh, Meghan Markle's brother, Thomas Markle. I mean, honestly, lunatics and idiots all. And I was taken over there to do that stupid TV show, which allows me to earn an income and, um, and therefore stay on the road doing this that I want to do. And the hypocrisy of that in and of itself, bringing people into country to do a nonsense TV program when Australians themselves could not leave, could not come back, could not leave their homes, could not go to a supermarket, could not function at any level, were being arrested for walking on a sidewalk. You know, the hypocrisy of that was just so stark. And I was kind of part of that, right? Because I was over there. So I just got online and I started ranting from my prison cell that I was being held in, my uh, isolation unit about the hypocrisy of everything and the ridiculousness of the tyranny that we all faced. And within 48 hours, yeah, I was, I mean, it got very dark. The thing I don't talk about very often, it got very dark very quick for me. So they cut off my electricity, then they cut off my hot water. I was threatened with an immigration camp. I was having my passport taken away from me. Uh, they stopped being, bringing food because they said there was a poisoning attempt uh, so it got kind of mean very quickly, but within, yeah, 48 hours, I was deported out of the country. I can't go back. My husband's family actually live in Australia, but, you know, that's another matter. Um, but one thing I will say about our side before I finish on this story is, um, you know, the, the key thing and my key message, I guess, to your listeners is uh, when we get knocked down, uh, which in my case has been often, uh, you know, being battered down to the canvas. One of the things we do and we always do and we will continue to do is get back up. And, and I mean that in not in the way like, like people rattle out to children, you know, don't worry about falling over, just get back up. I just mean the way that we literally grab onto the ropes of the side of the ring in order to haul ourselves back up. And that's how I feel often. And so I popped back up four weeks later in Arizona uh, to carry on my journey across America, lifting up our side. And, and I wasn't allowed to, I'm still not allowed to be in America as we speak right now. Uh, unvaccinated British people are still not allowed in your country. Yet here you are. <laughs> yes, here I am, because you know what, uh, my loves, the time for asking permission is over and the time for waiting 
to be told an answer is through. And whilst I consider myself law-abiding, I do not feel obliged to follow rules laid down by men or women that I have no respect for. Um, and in violation of those rules, the first time I broke into America, I broke in, and, and this isn't a lie, people usually come up to me afterwards and say, were you making that up for comedic effect? No, I broke in through Mexico. Uh, because under the Biden administration, that makes perfect sense somehow. Um, and so, yeah, so I will not follow rules uh, that made by people I do not respect. And that, that's my commitment to myself. And I don't fear the consequences of that either. Yeah, Katie, I appreciate that. You know, uh, Mark, my co-host here, is a is a psychiatrist. And he wrote a book about what has taken over the United States, a uh, a name he calls mass delusional psychosis. And Mark, Katie's description, especially her being kicked out of these various countries, South Africa, Australia, of all places, and having to literally sneak into the United States through Mexico, uh, it seems to me that your description is apropos not just to the United States of America, but the but to the world stage uh, at, at large. What, what do you think? You think that's correct? You know, this is a big problem in the Anglophone countries, which I find really ironic because they're really the source of the world's freedoms. And yet they're also now the source of the most illegitimate crackdown on the world's freedoms. Yeah, that that's absolutely right. And um, while things, at least temporarily, are improving in some places, United States in particular, as uh, I heard Anthony Fauci just today or yesterday make some reference to the quote-unquote pandemic being over, not that anybody's actually listening to him anymore, uh, that the inclination to revert back to the tyrannical ways is still there. Uh, I hope we've learned a lesson. Katie, have we, has the world learned a lesson through this uh, COVID tyrannical government takeover in many parts of the world where we will not allow this to happen again? Um, you know, being the optimistic type, I would uh, always look for the positive. But but the blunt truth on this uh, is no. And actually, to the contrary or to the opposite, I think the mass psychosis effect is not going away just because some small man has decided the rules may have changed. And what makes me very uncomfortable is observing, you know, the human race at large and observing their behaviors and seeing a yearning for the rules to return. Uh, so many people wanting, it seems, uh, to wear their face masks, much more comfortable with the face mask, more comfortable around people in face masks, watching people around me flinch when I'm near them or or quickly scuttle away saying, sorry, if they're anywhere near me because they've been somewhat tutored to believe it's bad to be near another human that you don't know or even one you do know. And I fear that for many people, COVID lockdowns were actually an enjoyable part of their lives where they enjoyed not having accountability or responsibility for their own lives. They enjoyed being told what to do and babysat by the state. And in fact, I would argue, and this goes along with Hillary Clinton's 2016 push, many people enjoy being the victim. So if they got to play the card that's immunocompromised or they got to play the card that's I'm vulnerable, therefore I must be shielding, many people enjoy that. I watched mums enjoy 
when their kids tested positive because suddenly they were part of this thing. For once in their life, they were special too. And this may sound harsh and this may sound cruel and unfair, but it's what I've observed and it's what makes me so nervous now is this, this want to be re-locked down or want to be told what to do. I think the impact of lockdowns have been much more extensive than just the idea that when they're lifted, they're lifted. You know, the other day, briefly, I went and did a skydive at uh, a free fall at Lake Elsinore in Riverside. You'll hear me not really knowing where I was. Uh, so you fall from 14,000 feet to 3,000 feet. And before you're allowed to do that, you have to watch a video where a guy tells you, this is your own risk. There could be negligence or gross negligence that will result in either death or injury or both. And, and, I, and you have to sign that and you have to be videoed signing the paperwork. And I wish that's what we had to do for our own lives. I wish everybody had to sign now saying, I take absolute accountability for all risk in my own life. And I will never try and sue someone and I will never try and look to someone to protect me from risk. Because that skydive was freeing because of that very thing. Everybody I was on that aircraft with had signed away any rights they had. And I kind of loved it. Well, you know, Katie, I'm glad the parachute opened uh, or we would not be having this podcast apparently. But, <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting. I heard Dennis Prager talk recently and he he talked about this notion that some people believe that uh, one of one of the natural human traits is want, is a desire to be free and to have liberty. And he said, you know, not so much. Actually, one of the most important innate human traits is to want to be taken care of. And there's this natural tendency as governments get bigger that people want to be taken care of. This American experiment of liberty and self-governance uh, is something that's learned. It's it's not natural. Mark, any thoughts on that? The, the psychological aspect of it's like a baby who just wants to be taken care of by mommy and daddy. Uh, and, and, and many people want the same, you know, they want big government to be their daddy. It's more comfortable. It's easier. Uh, the loss of liberty and freedom is overlooked by security and safety. Um, and that's an instinct that needs to be fought. And America did so well at fighting that because the consequences of that is totalitarianism, uh, communism, and the and misery for the masses, uh, but it is a natural tendency that human beings have. I just received an invitation yesterday to the first UC Berkeley alumni event. I'm a graduate of UC Berkeley in the last three years, and the announcement didn't say everybody come have a good time. It said in order to attend this in-person event, the first in three years, because it's all been Zoom for the last three years you had to actually read and complete a two-page waiver to go to a bar and to meet with graduates of the, of the university. Um, I think that, I mean, I just looked at it and I was just stunned, you know, a waiver to go to a bar. I think that the expectation now is that we will be taken care of and that we will be protected against acts of God by other humans, which of course is not possible. And it's that assumption, it's that presumption that drove this waiver. I don't think it's a legal issue. I, I think that uh, it's virtually impossible for somebody to sue a university for going to a bar that's organized by an alumni event. But I think people have this expectation that they're going to be protected. And so now it seems like as we go about our lives, 
any normal expectation that we would have of having to take on our own responsibilities, uh, you know, change the flat on your car, um, pay for your drink, um, find an Uber on your way home. Suddenly now that's the responsibility of some other entity, you know, the state, uh, some sort of father figure. And we have to explicitly be told now, we have to sign a form that says, we understand that day-to-day life will happen and that we have to take care of ourselves. If this is the way that we're going to be running our day-to-day lives uh, for the next 10 or 20 years, I don't even know if I want to be a part of it. Yeah, I wish there was, you know, you used to think, well, maybe we'll go to Canada. Well, that's not working out so well. I used to actually think maybe I'll go to Australia. You know, they have great accents, koala bears and kangaroos, and they tend to be free, but not so much. Uh, but I'll tell you, maybe the maybe the freest country right now next to America, if you want to still call us free, is uh, is Poland or Hungary. And, you know, it's interesting, this idea somebody else must be responsible. Well, shit, look at the look at the friggin vaccine companies. They're not responsible for anything. They've got they've got liability protection for the products that they make. If you're injured by a vaccine, there's nobody to sue. Uh, and that certainly doesn't seem right. But here's here's the problem I'm having right now, Katie. We've been on for about 20 minutes. Uh, you you know you're supposed to be a, a stand-up comedian of sorts. You haven't said anything funny. So come on. I thought this was going to be a funny interview, and n- nothing nothing but your rabbit's foot. <laughs> well, well, to be fair, it's hard to be too funny when you're asking kind of dark, serious questions. Uh, the other thing I find is when I tell people I do stand up, right? So, you know, we just, I don't come out with that of my own volition, but if I'm being pushed, I'll say, yeah, I do some stand up. And they'll always do what you just did, which is come on then, which basically means come on then, make me laugh. And then I, I always think, you know, if I met a hairdresser, I wouldn't say, come on then, and expect them to just like turn around and cut my hair because it doesn't totally work like that. But what I would say, it's, you know, at a time where it's universal <laughs> doom and damn gloom, it is brilliant to get, like, last night, 120 people in a room and just to have them laugh and laugh and laugh. And it was a glorious thing. And they come away, you know, people, and they say, I needed that because I truly believe people are walking around carrying this, you know, like almost like an urn of water behind their eyes. And they don't realize it. The last two years have been this kind of mass injury event like a mass casualty pileup except no one has injuries they can show they're all inside and a lot of you know ladies are carrying the injury of not being spoken to by children or you know grandchildren being used as hostages so that not until you get the vaccine can you see your grandkids again and just being able to be together in a room and laugh at the craziness of the situation we're all in uh, has been a perfect thing. I mean, I don't know. What kind of funny do you want to hear? What kind of funny topic do you want to hear me share? Most of it is about my stories on the road. You know, most of it is about... So if I was my well, skydiving yeah. story that we just had, you know, one of my learnings, obviously, is the video where people take ultimate accountability for the risks they're about to endure. And if they die, they die. The other thing I learned on skydiving is that when, you know, I'm a menopausal age woman as you'll understand being doctors and all the rest of it and therefore having had three children you know my bladder control is not what it was and what I can tell you about skydiving is that when you lose control of your bladder 
uh, it is not actually you that suffers the consequence of that. It is the tandem instructor that you're strapped to. And gravity doesn't work the same way in the air. So when we got down to the ground, I was able to just like point at the instructor and go, oh my God, did you get scared up there? You poor thing. Whereas in fact, it was my doing. <laughs> that's my kind of dark, subversive humor. Yeah, that's fantastic. You know, I, I do from time to time being a doctor, people <laughs> will come up to me and say, you're a doctor. Can we go in the bathroom and can I have a prostate exam right now? So that happens from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> so how long are you going to be in the United States for? And uh, what, do you, what do you have planned over the next few weeks? Yeah. So I only have a few, like a, a week and a bit left. So um, I go from here to Napa. I'm going to do a gig in Alameda, I believe it's called, uh, which is in blue territory. Uh, and that's one of the things I think is so important. I think one of my criticisms of our side is that we spend too much time in polite conference rooms speaking or singing to the choir, uh, whereas I think we have to get amongst it a bit. And I'm not talking about talking to people who never want to listen, who will never be on our side. But, you know, I did open mic night the other night in downtown L.A. And it's surprising afterwards the people that will come up to you and say, you know, I don't agree with a lot of what you say, but I get, I get you. Um, and so I'll be in Alameda, and then I'm flying to Florida, and I'm going to be the warm-up for uh, Ron DeSantis. So... Uh, that's a pretty easy gig right there. Warm up for Ron DeSantis in the villages. Talk about, I mean, singing to the choir, that's, a, that's virtually being in the choir yourself, isn't it? And I will say, as a side note, Ron DeSantis is a very, very good looking man. <laughs> I'm sure his wife thinks so too. Uh, that's great that you're going to be in Florida. You know, you've been, a, you've been around the world and in many different countries. Do you still think America is the freest country on earth? It, it's... Um, I guess it depends a little bit how you qualify that. I mean, in absolute terms, yes, it is. You know, I have your constitution. I was just about to, I don't want to say something that isn't completely true. Okay, there. I have your constitution in my hand as I speak. It sits alongside my passport in my backpack with my rabbit's foot. And the constitution, greatest single document ever written. And no one can take that from you. Your second amendment Americans are not handing, unlike any other country, South Africa, Australia, you are not handing over those weapons anytime soon. And in fact, if you get out amongst Republicans, you find out that every time Biden does something crazy or, you know, does start shaking hands with an invisible person who's not there, they buy another weapon. And that's a glorious thing. And, you know, on a tactical level, a day-to-day -day level, uh, places in South America, Mexico, feel more free because... You can't lock down a nation that if they don't work, they don't eat. So when you're in Mexico, it feels so free because you just have to get on with working and get on with life. Otherwise, life stops. But in terms of, you know, the big strategic play, America has got so many defense mechanisms in place. It's like an impenetrable, you know, a real impenetrable force, like a fort of freedom. And, and that's why I remain so relentlessly optimistic and you have great teeth and you have great customer service and we have none of those things <laughs> yeah and we have in and out burger and uh, and some pretty good food too so is it yes. so every single time you come into the united states you have to you have to do so through mexico um the, the last uh, twice that i've come in i've come in via mexico because there was a glitch in the matrix that would allow that each time i had to wait 15 days 
in Mexico and I chose Mexico City because Mexico City kills more journalists than any other city and I travel on a journalist visa. So it would be improbable that I would be doing that if I wasn't working and therefore it would be improbable I was trying to break into the States. Uh, and then this time I, I came via another mechanism, which I wouldn't share verbally, but it involves risk on my part. And, and as I said at the front end, it, it's risk I'm willing to take. I do always have people saying, how? How did you do it? How did you do it? And obviously, it's very difficult for me to be specific because it would result in me being in trouble. Yeah, no, ab absolutely. So we're, you know, we're always happy to see you here in our country. Um, it's always nice when you have uh, folks that are not from here that are speaking out on behalf of America, it reminds us of the important place that we play in this world and in history. And unfortunately, too many of us, and, and, and in particular the children, uh, have forgotten the story about the founding of America. You know, we've got Fourth of July coming up, of course, and uh, Dennis Prager has argued that we should use Fourth of July as a American Passover, if you will, that is the retelling of the story of America, uh, because we've lost that. Fourth of July has become hot dogs and, and uh, apple pie and sales at the local store and fireworks. It hasn't become a celebration of the great American experiment um, that it really should be. It looks like we may have uh, we have may have may have lost Katie, but um, uh, there, Katie, you're back, I think, and, and that's okay. Uh, but what I was saying is that it's, it's particularly helpful to have folks that are not from America speak on behalf of our country because it reminds all of us about the importance of the American experiment and what we represent both future and, and past uh, to the world. Yeah, and I just wanted to say briefly, if I may, is one last uh, point, is, is that goes the other way as well. You know, one of my, clearly I speak for no one but myself. I don't represent, you know, Great Britain, but America can't hear us. So you're not allowed to hear this. There's 80 million Brits, okay. And, and 60 million of those or so are, are assholes, forgive my language. Uh, but 20 million Brits are decent Brits and they're your kind of Brits and your kind of Americans. And they are absolutely with you. Like we're standing on our tables. We're applauding you every step of the way. We admire your fight and your tenacity and your belief in God and your fight for your land. And, uh, and we are cheering you on. And, and I want Americans to know that we're not represented by the Muslim mayor of London, uh, but that we are with you as well. And, and you are our... Oh, sorry. I, I, I'll be quiet. I think we lost your feet again. Um, but Mark, you know, listen, we've we've heard somebody from Great Britain tell us about their adventures getting kicked out of countries and the importance of America. And I, and I think I think Katie Hopkins is correct. And you've described the umbrella under which this cloud we've been operating under uh, during the whole last two years of COVID, this mass delusional psychosis. Uh, what's what's the path forward, do you think, Mark? It's really inspiring to hear from foreigners how important our position is. I think we forget that because we are in the center. And when you're at the center, you don't really have much perspective. Unfortunately, the other governments outside of the U.S. appear to be far more centralized. And because we don't have constitutions and guns in the rest of the world, uh, more bent on crushing 
the activists who are trying to fight for freedom. We've had so many more protests outside the U.S. than we've had in the U.S. They simply haven't been successful because the government is too powerful. So I think that Americans really should be trying to learn from the rest of the world, maybe not the governments, but the people who are trying to fight back. And one of the things that I've said recently is that we've really made a mistake in the U.S. strategically, in my view, by focusing on the top-down approach. We need to change out the president. We need to flip the Senate, the Supreme Court, Congress. I think that's a mistake. I think we need to focus on ourselves, our families, and our communities first, and then build up from the bottom. I think we have to work up underneath and then go high. There's a lot more power that we have over our day-to-day lives than we have over what's going on in Washington. If we can fix our communities by electing moms to school boards and uh, local shop owners to city council, I think we can really make a change. And when you have small communities that then make changes, like say Loudoun County in Virginia, that really starts to inspire and resonate with the rest of the counties and the states and then a national level. So I would suggest and, and really encourage everybody who is on this side, the side of freedom, to start working on the local. And you take a cue from the left. You know, they're always talking about politics is local, recycle local, et cetera. Well, we need to push our values on a local level. That makes us active. Sitting by passively and waiting for things to happen in Washington is not going to make a change. You know, get out of the chair, get off your butt, and start to you do. Know, something I think you're absolutely right, Mark. And you know, you and I have I done a lot of speaking together. It's been uh, my honor to be a co-host with you on Informed Dissent. And I've seen in my own local community, I've seen more people engaged that have never been engaged before in local politics, specifically school boards and city councils. Um, and all over here in Orange County, which is where I live, there are people that are standing up that have never run for office before that are running for the first time, both in school board and city council races. There are activists on the ground that are working to recall school board members. I've never seen that happen before. And uh, Mary, my wife, who's running for re-election for the County Board of Education here in Orange County, uh, has more grassroots activists, then we know what to do. We're having trouble organizing them all for walk parties and for events and so forth. It's a wonderful thing to see. And I absolutely agree with you that it's easy to look at national news and to complain and to whine and to maybe root for your favorite national candidate, whether it's a senator or even congressperson or president. But that's not how we're going to save the country. We tried that. You know, we had a president that believed most of the things we believed and did some really wonderful things. But for this country to be saved, it's not at the national level. It's not the grand politician, even Ron DeSantis, as much as I like him. It is the on the ground grassroots effort where you stand, literally where you live, where you go to school, what parks you go to, what restaurants you go to. You need to take a stand in your own community. That's the hard work, but that's the important work that's going to change. If we can change your block, your town, your school, your city council, then and only then can we change the country as a whole. And in, and particularly education. Education, uh, traditional government education is failing spectacularly across this country by almost every single metric. You name it, we're failing. The good news, though, is there are more and more people that are pulling their kids out of, out of uh, government schools. 
There was an article recently that said there are more kids that have disenrolled the last two years than, than over the last 40 years. We're seeing an explosion of charter schools and, and home schools, and that's a good thing. Parents taking over the educational process of their kids, getting involved again, no longer abrogating the educational responsibility to the government, uh, but, but looking within that it's their responsibility again. And I think if the trend is, continues, and that is the trend of the mama bears standing up, dragging their reluctant husbands along, and I know you've talked about this a bit, Mark, as well, uh, and taking back school boards and city councils in their own district, uh, we will see a revival uh, in America. Uh, we will see a change in direction, and hopefully, once again, liberty will, will shine true. Personal accountability. I think when people bring that back and they start to focus on not being taken care of, but trying to take care of their communities and other people, then I think we return to our roots and I think we have a chance. Absolutely. So listen, we lost Katie. She's on to uh, make people laugh somewhere up in, uh, in Northern California and, and, and good on her. She's a wonderful person. Hopefully we'll have her back. We wish her Godspeed in helping us save our own country, uh, keeping it light. Uh, making people laugh and, and reminding them about the importance of freedom in America again. And Mark, until next time, uh, another great episode of Informed Dissent. You've been listening to Informed Dissent with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics.